24-year-olds voted today, it's 25 percent. 18 to 24-year-olds represent 33 percent of the population, but only account for 7 percent of the voters. Think government isn't about you? How many of you have student loans to pay? How many of you have credit card debt? Hey everyone, and welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore. I'm joined by Scott Melson at the news desk. What's up, man? I'm at the sports desk. Who's really? on? Who's on weather? <laughs> right. Okay. Who's on uh, first? It's cold. It is cold. A little chilly out there. It's perfect. This is my. So this is this is my favorite. My favorite. This is your zone. Yeah, dude. I love it. So our cold open this week is the scene from the West Wing. Uh, from season four of C.J. Craig at the Rock the Vote rally, in which she says, decisions are made by those who show up. And if memory serves, that Rock the Vote rally was sponsored by music television, MTV. Yes, and the uh, Beastie Boys were playing. That's right. The Beastie Boys, and so was... Uh, Better Than Ezra uh, or something, right? Oh, what's her name? Because um, I listened to an interview with her about it. What's her name? Uh, Lisa Loeb. No, it was somebody, and they made her sing because she sings a James Taylor song, um, um, and Sarah she was Barillas. kind of like irritated that they made her sing a oh, right, James yeah. Taylor song instead of one of her songs. Well, regardless, the reason we opened with that today is because a big announcement you may have seen this week on our social media: MTV is sponsoring the election night show. That's right. If you grew up in the late '80s, early to mid '90s, and uh, you know, remember watching uh, videos like Waterfalls or. Uh, <laughs> Let's see. I want it that way. Yeah, I want it that way by the Backstreet Boys or uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit by Nirvana. Um, this any, is your jam. This is right. And if, if if any of that sounds familiar, then you need to be at our election. That's I right. Rock party. the Vote is still a thing, though, I think. Oh, yeah. It, it's not actually what we're doing. Ours is hashtag Vote Together. That's actually the name of the organization. Uh, vote Together that is partnered with MTV, and they are sponsoring voting parties just like this. So I'll be honest, I applied. It was a grant. I applied. We were awarded. It's not a huge amount of money. Don't expect like that like uh, Flo Rida is going to be there or anything. <laughs> he was in town earlier this week for the Paycom 20th anniversary. But it is uh, – we're excited. I, the inner 80s and 90s child is excited. Also, it's important um, because a lot of the events are a little bit different than ours, and we, we're excited to, to be a part of this national thing. All right, so as a reminder – on November 6th, we are hosting the Election Night Show at the Tower Theater. It's going to be like the Tonight Show, but way cooler because it's all Oklahoma people, all Oklahoma musicians, and we will have uh, a great... And all Oklahoma politics. And all Oklahoma politics, that's right. Although it is a fairly significant election night nationally, so there may be national developments that creep in from time to time, yeah. but that will certainly not be our, uh, our focus. Well, I mean, Oklahoma congressional races and that kind of thing are a, are a big part of that. We will have a number of candidates there with us for at least a portion of the evening. I know a lot of folks are planning to stop by. We also are expecting um, well, a, a great lineup of guests. Yeah, uh, I've previously announced that Mayor David Holt would be there. He ended up having a schedule conflict. I think he got double booked, probably because he committed to one thing and his assistant committed him to something else, and they didn't communicate in the interim. That happened. So we were we were second to the party on that one. So we got bumped from the dance card. However, we replaced him with state superintendent Joy Hoffmeister. I think the mayor will want to come after all. Yes, yes. Um, we are super excited to have uh, Superintendent Hoffmeister. She'll be excellent. Um, That's right. She's the superintendent now. I think it's likely that she'll still be the superintendent Uh on election night? That's right. She's going to come by early in the evening around 6.30. Uh, and so if you want to see her, um, come by or tune in for that. Um, she is going to help us. As a spoiler alert, only for you, let's pod this listeners. Superintendent Hoffmeister is going to be helping us with a Letterman-style top 10 list. Oh, you don't want to miss that. It's really great. I've been working on it this week. I'm really excited. I hope you will enjoy it. You know, seriously, like this is... 
you know, what are you going to do on election night, right? Like there's, if you're, vol- if you have been volunteering for a campaign and you're going to be at a campaign watch party, you know what? Good fine, for you. Like, fine. well, like, like well done. We tip our hats to you. And, and tell your candidate to come to our party. Yes. Do that too. But otherwise, if you're not doing that, I mean, like, I guess you could go to like a bar and watch at a bar or you can come to a place that's has a bar that will be well stocked with free admission, free food, lots of other like-minded people who also want to watch the election returns, mm-hmm. me and Andy, and like live music. Like, where are you, like, you going to get that? It's going to be rad. Right? So you can either go to a bar and do it that way, or you can watch with us. Or if you're going to be sitting at home, well, come on, guys. Like, I know it's a Tuesday, but you can you can come out on a Tuesday. And for any of you Okla Ed listeners, I will tell you that Superintendent Hoffmeister approached me. She saw me at the student debate last week and said, hey, I saw the video about this. looks fun. We're going to come by. And I said, do you want to be a part of it? And she said, I would love to. I'm like, yes. So we want to see as many of you there as we can. It is a nonpartisan event, just like the show. That's so right. we welcome, we want Republicans, Democrats, Libertarians, despite my rant last week. We want Independents. We have at least one independent candidate confirmed to be there. We want all of you guys there. Yeah. So it should be a really great time. Um, it's going to be super fun. I hear that the Wizards at the Tower Theater have some exciting things planned as well. So they may be a chance for them to kind of play around and show off some of their technical expertise. And new toys. New toys. Also, hey, we're going to have Let's Fix This koozies there. And t-shirts. You can get your red Let's Fix This, the uh, original supporter t-shirt. I got a fresh batch of those. Yep. Some of the very fashionable and soft navy blue I Voted t-shirts will be there. Lapel pins. Stickers. In It'll fact, be- I, I say we would love if if you have uh let's fix this let's fix this merch. We would love to see you in your merch. Do you think we need hoodies? I would. Yes. I know you and I will buy hoodies. Yes. I I'm gonna say we, there is a de- in fact. I've heard from several people there's a demand for hoodies. Okay, excellent. I may I'll look into that. Also, Peter, if you're listening, I still have a tote bag for you in my car, uh, and we need to have you on the show to give it to you. And Ed, if you can make the drive in from the Panhandle. We would love to see you on Tuesday night. It's nice to know at least a few listeners by name. Right? Dude, Ed's awesome. He's tremendous. I mean, I'm, I assume Peter's awesome as well. Yes. But Ed, like, emails us, like, feedback about the show and corrects us on things that we get wrong. Which is, <laughs> which is very, more often than you'd expect. Which right? is very, very helpful. Or maybe exactly as often as you'd expect. Uh, so, uh, in this week's episode, we don't really have a news roundup. I will give a cursory mention to the fact that today, the Oklahoma... Um, Public Employees Association announced that a number, an undisclosed number of the employees from the State Department of Health who were uh, released from employment, laid off, rift, if you will, reduction in force, that back, I guess that was last December? Can we say screwed? That was likely true as well. Um, so at the time, if you recall, the state believed that the State Department of Health thought they were $30 million in the hole. Uh, and as it turns out, it was hidden under the mattress. They found it later. Oh, hey, here's the $30 million we were missing. And so they let like 250 to 280 people go because of budget woes that weren't actually budget woes. So those folks are suing to be like, hey, you shouldn't have fired us like a year ago. So they may need at least a portion of that $30 million to pay some of these settlements. Indeed. I wonder if they... Can they just like pay the difference and like get them back? That seems a little unfair because they didn't work in the interim, and they may have better jobs now. Right, know. that's the other thing. I mean, I, you know, well, they and, offered them all the job back, and only two of them took it. Well, and that's the other thing is I don't know, like I don't know if, how many of them have better jobs. I don't know how many of them like. So, like, if they retired, right? Like, if mm-hmm. they took retirement and now they've accessed like retirement benefits, like, oh, they, yeah, I don't think you know, like they tap, really... you know, they tapped to their four hundred one k, like those sorts of things. I don't, you know, their pension. I don't know how that works. I don't either. I I did see that several local journalists are writing about that today. Catherine Sweeney being one at the Journal Record. Also, Journal Record is going to be the marquee sponsor of the election night show, and Catherine will be one of our guests. Journal Record and MTV. You can't get more legit than that. That's right. Like that's like both ends of the spectrum. Right. Right. Anything in between is like the National Enquirer, and we don't want them. No. No. Because they just have to be like unless they want to give us like ten grand. We'll take their money, but we don't want them actually covering it. Yeah, true story. Some story. weird story about Sasquatch. alien landing and let's <laughs> fix this as uh, a right. I have a one more news story actually oh, okay. yes. uh, 
there's an eight-year-old girl in Sweden that pulled a stick out of a lake near her house. She's an American by birth, but now she lives in Sweden. And it turns out that it was, uh, it was actually a Viking sword that's like a thousand years old. That Which, has nothing to do with anything we talk about, but no, but it led. To, I thought it was cool. Led to everyone out there tweeting the um, women, dead women pulling swords out of ponds is no basis for a government. You know what's funny is I actually didn't see that tweet. You didn't? I just saw I the, saw like I just saw the news story. Four or five people <laughs> tweet the same thing, which I thought was funny. I just thought it was cool. For me, what it led to was about an hour and a half long a Wikipedia rabbit hole on uh, Vikings and their weaponry. Oh, that's fair. That's worthwhile. Um, your mention of an eight-year-old reminded me of one other thing that is newsworthy. I was at an event today at UCO with Representative Cindy Munson uh, and and Alicia Priest from OEA. They were on a panel, and I was moderating the panel um, for some students, education students, um, at a at a conference up there. And Representative Munson shared a story from this past, I think, this past year, of a nine-year-old constituent who approached her and said i want to propose a law that or a legislative action at least that the red-tailed hawk be named the state raptor and is isn't it already well this is when it this is what made it i don't know how long ago it was but in the last three years because okay. so long she's been in office and and she so so house reps at the state level only get eight bills per session right senators get an unlimited amount but house reps can only file eight bills and really you know that's a lot to kind of monitor so something like four or five is more reasonable and if you're the minority party as representative munson is you know you're not going to get all of them through and so each bill she files is like a, a precious space right and so she her assistant um, really kind of let the kid like walked him through the steps of like, why is this important and what research have you done and, and whatever. And then representative Munson met with him and really talked through it and, and basically said, listen, man, like and not in a mean way, but it was like, you know, we got to do criminal justice reform and, you know, funding for healthcare and education and all these things are really important. Why is naming the red tailed Hawk important enough to take up one of my bill slots and the nine-year-old had the best answer she said he said because we need something to be proud of nice and i was like oh that crushed me i was right. like yes that's exactly right and she said nice. so he got it and so she told him like hey man this may not go anywhere because they may you know and some folks did complain of course yeah. um but it passed both chambers and was signed by the governor so for however long now the red-tailed hawk has been the state raptor. That's awesome. You know, you bring up uh, Representative Munson, and I think that something that this is, again, it's it's not a news item, but I think it is relevant. So uh, she had a, a Facebook post a couple of days ago that I th- I think was public because it's, I mean, it's been shared like 50 times, so mm-hmm. I mean, it's public, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, she's, and she's talking about knocking doors and you know representative munston is a she's a democrat she lives in a district that is uh many many republicans i think you'd call it a swing district or she's the first democrat to ever top up toss up district um and and then it it seems like there's been some people who you know she comes to the door and they ask her you know the first question is what party are you and they say you know she's a democrat and they say well i i don't want to talk to you or they call her a socialist or i hate obama they hate it yeah and she wrote a really, really wonderful post about how just because we're not in the same party doesn't mean one that I don't like if I win, I, I represent you. Right. So like you don't mm-hmm. have to vote for me, but if I win and she has right the last two times, then I'm still your representative. And it's important for us to be able to talk to each other just because of that relationship. Number one, but number two just because I'm a Democrat and you're a Republican doesn't mean that a, we have nothing in common and B that we can't and shouldn't talk to each other. And if we're throwing up barriers, right? Like if we're using that, that lens of party to say, okay, I assume that because we differ on this, then we're going to differ on everything. And there's, we have nothing to talk about. Right. I mean, that, that kills our politics. Oh, like yeah. it kill, it kills our politics. It kills our society. Like, most believe it or not, most of us agree 
on most things. Yeah. Like that's real. Like, and there's data that shows that most people talk all the time about how divided America is. Yeah. On a couple issues that for reasons that you can argue are arbitrary have become the focal point of our political discussions. There are some issues on which we're sharply divided, but on the things that matter, right? I mean, I shouldn't say on things that matter on most things. Most of us think pretty similarly. And if we focused on those things that we, about which we feel similarly, we might get a lot more done on the areas where we differ. That's all, you know, that's fair. And I, I mean, I think of, of everyone in the legislature and I'll say this, we have a lot of great representatives and great senators on both sides of the aisle. Um, I would say that in my opinion, as an individual person, Andy Moore, I feel like representative Munson is one of those who is, about as close to postpartisan as you can get, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and because she is, and maybe that would some people would call that moderate. I'm, I'm, I mean postpartisan, and like she's over the party affiliations. I mean, she's been a Democrat for a long time. That's that's right. who she is, and yeah. that's I think because she looked at both sides and said, you know what, I I more closely align with this side, in in like her heart on some of those issues that may never come up at the state level, right? Right. Um, but I think that that's the the kind of governing spirit that we want someone who is f- who puts the people over the party. No, I think that's a hundred percent right, and I think I think it does bear emphasis. And I I don't want to be really clear here. Like I'm not speaking for Cindy Munson and what she believes about anything, but I'm just making like as a general statement. Just because you're postpartisan does not mean that you're wishy washy, right? Like. Oh, right. right. No, like, that's an like, excellent point. Like you can be you can be staunchly conservative and or staunchly I guess you can't be staunchly conservative and staunchly progressive. You can be staunchly conservative or staunchly progressive and still be post partisan. Right? Like you you don't like you can be very, very progressive, like in terms of you and what you believe and your like kind of core. But to me, to be postpartisan means you are willing to know that that's who you are and that that's what you believe, but also acknowledge that the people with whom you have to work every day may not believe the same as you do, and that's okay, and that doesn't mean that you don't work with them, and you find areas that you can agree on, that you can compromise on, and those are the things that you use to build a relationship. Being postpartisan doesn't mean you give up the things that you believe. Do you- What's the difference to you between postpartisan and bipartisan? Um, I think that's a, that's actually that's a really really excellent question. I think bipartisan is bipartisan is you know I identify predominantly as a Democrat or a Republican, but I am a a Democrat or a Republican who's willing to work with people of the opposite party. Postpartisan is I don't use that moniker to identify myself and I don't use that moniker to identify other people, right? Like I'm a conservative state Senator from rural Oklahoma, but I am myself. I don't use my party label as like my definition. And I see a more progressive Senator from the Tulsa Metro who thinks the same way that I do about this issue and I want to work with that person because if he or she and I work together on this issue, we make the state better. And I'm not concerned at all about what my party label is or what their party label is. Like I think in postpartisan, like to be postpartisan, that party label, the calculus doesn't enter the equation at all. Interesting. Does that make sense? It. I, I hear what you're saying. I'm not sure that I agree with you entirely, but I think that's because this is a tricky issue. Um, and I, I think I wrote a blog about this a while back. Um, and I can't find it of course right offhand, but it's, I would encourage you listeners at home to Google just the term postpartisan because it is, it has been around for a while. And clearly we are very much in a, uh, a partisan environment, right? Like what would you say is the difference? Andrew? I don't, that's the hard part. I don't really know. I I think like it's um moving beyond labels is 
uh, a a huge deal. I think the hard part is that anyone who says right now that they are um, postpartisan is they, but often they still vote with one party. You know what I mean? So I did on September 14th of last year I, of 2017, I wrote a blog called pulling back from partisanship um, in which I kind of delved into this a little bit. Do you know what the first sentence is of the Wikipedia article on postpartisanship? No. Postpartisanship is an approach to dispute resolution between political factions that emphasizes compromise and collaboration over any remotely plausible basis in reality <laughs> or political history. <laughs> That's well done, Wikipedia. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know who edited that. It also says that this article needs additional citations for verification. Yeah, so indeed. Uh, so um, in in my blog post again, this is from September of 2017. Um, if you go to org slash search and just search for postpartisan, um, in the article there's a couple of links, and I'll you know I'll save you the time. I'll just link to it directly in the blog post for this podcast episode. So look up podcast episode 57 and That's, you'll find it. You know, I think... It, oh, sorry, sorry. I was going to say it links to a couple of stories from like the Atlantic from 2008 and the Washington Times um, around the same time. And that this has been a discussion for like 10 years, which is, I would think, if it's, if we were truly living in a postpartisan time, we wouldn't have been like simmering in it for a decade well i would say one there is absolutely no evidence to support the idea that we're living in a postpartisan time number one but number two i would say that i was 2008 was a happier time there was no it was uh, it just i don't well i take that back i don't feel like it was as divisive back then in in 2008 this i think it was authored prior to the election so this was still obama versus romney yeah and it was uh, a different level of discourse. No, 2008 was Obama versus McCain. That's what I meant. Oh, McCain, yeah. sorry. Yeah. Um, I agree, though. It was a different level of discourse. I think, you know, the reason I say that I, that postpartisanship, to me, postpartisanship has to include not, disinti- not disidentification with um, a party, but a a um, conscious decision that the party label of both you, right, and the person with whom you're trying to work is like a secondary factor. Does that I mean does that make sense at all? Mm-hmm. Like, and I say that just because there's you know there's a book I've referenced on the show before by Liliana Mason um, um, that deals with partisanship, right? Like how party, like how politics became our identity. And party identity like plays a huge role in that. And so I think to say something or someone is post-partisan, that the role of that identity has to take, has to be diminished significantly. That's fair. Does that make, does that make sense? I think so. I'm going to read you a quote, Scott, and then we need, to, we need to move on from this. But a quote, I'm going to just have you guess. I'll give you one guess at who this was. The quote is, all of our most deeply held dreams and aspirations require us to build on our common bonds rather than keep resorting to the tired battle cries of partisan politics that divides and demoralizes us. Donald Trump. No. <laughs> no. no. That wasn't my real guess. Um, read it one more time. All of our most deeply held dreams and aspirations require us to build on our common bonds rather than keep resorting to the tired battle cries of partisan politics that divides and demoralizes us. George W. Bush. No. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Really? <laughs> yeah. Really? You're never going to guess that. No. I'll, I'll give no, you one other not. one on the other end of the aisle, I think. We do not have to settle for the same old politics. We need a fundamentally different way of behaving, one built on cooperation and collaboration. Yeah, no idea. Michael Bloomberg. Interesting. These are both quotes in that Atlantic article that I posted. All right. Um, Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to dive into the state questions. If only you could see Scott and I dance during our interludes. I rock the air guitar. 
He does. Yeah, today we did a little keyboard. Keyboard, yeah. Keyboard action. All right, so let's talk about the state questions. Scott? State what? State state questions. I just said it. All right, so we're going to go in numerical order, starting with state question 793. Do we need to just state questions, like what these are? Oh, well, yeah. So a preface is that state questions arrive on your ballot. There are five this year. Um, and they arrive on your ballot one of two ways. One is initiative petition, which is where the people get together and collect signatures and say, we want this law and and get enough signatures to put it on the ballot. We're one of a few states that do that. Um, the other way is that the legislature basically passes a, a, a motion, a, whatever it's called, an action to send it to a vote of the people. So like... The legislature is like, oh, we're not going to decide about this. We should send it to the people and let them decide. So those that's the one of those are the two ways it gets to your ballot. Did yes. I leave anything out? Nope, I don't think so. All right. Nice summary. 793, this is to allow optometrists and opticians to operate in retail stores. Scott, do you know much about this? Yeah, I, I, I'll be honest. The only folks I've, you know, I've talked with some of my friends that are ophthalmologists or optometrists, and they're the main folks that I've talked to about it. So, I, I know about it from their perspective uh, more than from the perspective of the proponents. So, this is a constitutional amendment, and it would which is important. Yes. We're going to talk about that. So, sorry, I'm going to interrupt you. Yeah, yeah. The thing I didn't say earlier is that we talked about how they get on your ballot, but they do different things. So, there's basically two options one is it amends the actual constitution of the state of oklahoma or it's just a law change yes and laws are subject to they can be changed by the legislature <laughs> it's a lot easier to change a law in the future than a change to the constitution yes a key point there my friend now please proceed so so 793 would change the oklahoma constitution and it would allow automatrists and opticians to operate within retail establishments so this would be like you could have a Walmart that has an optometrist office in it or a Target or, or what have you. Um, it would also prohibit the legislature from ch- enacting laws that would, quote unquote, discriminate against optometrists and opticians based on where they practice. Um, it would also limit the legislature's ability to uh to infringe upon these clinics from like keeping them from selling certain kinds of eyeglasses or providing certain services, certain kinds of services. Um, it would allow the legislature to prevent optometrists from performing surgery in retail establishments. Right. So like you <laughs> could, <God. laughs> you, you couldn't go to the Walmart, like you could go to the like opt- optometric office in a Walmart and then have, you know, like LASIK for instance. Um, although whether or not, Optometrists can perform LASIK as a whole other discussion. Uh, it would also limit the number of locations in which a single optometrist could practice. Um, you know why this is like why this would be a good thing. The folks that are proposing and supporting the law, um, they're saying that you know, especially in rural communities, people tend to do a lot of their shopping at like big box stores, like a Walmart, and letting them have the option to get their eye care at that location. Um, is a lot more convenient. They're saying it would increase competition because more people would, you know, more optom- optometric uh, doctors would practice in the state because they have more options of where to practice and that would bring prices down. And then they're also, this is, in my opinion, arguably the, the worst reason for doing it. 47 other states do it, so we should do it too. Um, they're saying- Everybody's oh, doing it, man. Right? Oklahoma is limiting business opportunities by not allowing this. That's the argument or the kind of, Summary of the argument in favor. So I was reading something about this today, and um, for me, and I, I, I should have said this up front. A, a disclaimer is that Scott and I may share our personal opinions during this episode about these measures. Um, and if you agree, great. If not, that's equally great. We do not speak on behalf of any organization or other person, including Let's Fix This, including yeah, our organization. Um, I'm just trying to give a disclaimer that we don't really endorse or, yeah. or oppose any of these things. Agreed. I, um, these aren't like, I don't feel like these are necessarily core things for the, the state, but, um, I will say with this. So right now, like the, this change for one is a constitutional amendment, which is a big hairy deal should yes. be. Yes. And, and I think 
I don't know why Oklahoma, when I started, let's fix this, like, I learned that we... we why are, we have all this crap in the Constitution that doesn't well, even be in the Constitution? So, yeah, so that's the problem, <laughs> like, is that we have a very lengthy and, um, and articulated Constitution in the first place, and we have amended it a bajillion times ever since. And this is a great example. I don't know why this stuff is in there in the first place. I would personally support an amendment to take it out and just make it a law. But I do not support an amendment to embed further stipulations within the Constitution that may never get moved again, right? And so, because I don't think any industry, optometry otherwise, should be in the Constitution. Constitutional, that, pro- constitutionally protected. What if we develop some kind of uh, 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 prosthetic eyewear like Geordi LaForge from Star Trek, and that it renders optometry obsolete anyway? Well, then we just got this extra language hanging out, and that's dumb. Yeah. It's not in the U.S. Constitution. Because right. they weren't doing eye surgery in 1776. Right, right. No, and, you know, obviously optometrists and, for the most part, ophthalmologists are, you know, pretty uniformly uh, opposed to this. Their argument that is that smaller independent optometrists will be driven out of the market. Mm-hmm. Um, and that when that competition is gone, you know, that's going to mean that the big box retailers will raise their prices. Um, they also are arguing that limiting the services that can be provided in an optometric office based on its location, right? So if there's stuff that like my optometrist that I do in his or her standalone building, Mm -hmm. if there's stuff they can do there that an optometrist in Walmart or Target can't do, then patients who are being seen in Walmart or Target are going to get substandard care. So that's one of their arguments, right? right? I could, but those you've seen optometry stores inside retail establishments there. Well, so two things. One, I used to go to an eye doctor in a Walmart down in Texas, and it was fine because at the time it was convenient. My guy's in the standalone office now, and that's fine too. The thing that I read today is that this doesn't prohibit optometrists from being co-located. They just can't be owned by the retail thing. Right? That's what the law right. is. So right. like lens crafters can open up an eyewear store in a Walmart or a Target or whatever in Oklahoma right now. Uh, optometrists can open up as if they just like lease the space from the building owner, who's probably Walmart. Right, right. And so it's kind of, it's not so much about them being in there; it's about them being a part of the retail business. Which is what, which is what gets at this, right? So the argument, the the big argument from the folks that are proposing this is, oh, it's gonna, you know, competition and increase access to eye care. This is because stores like Walmart, that are the predominant retailers in rural communities want this revenue that's this is about money yeah, like yeah. this it's, is it's one more service that they can offer so you're not you can you can now you could get eye care and eye glasses at a walmart but from a different company you can go to walmart you can buy gas buy your groceries buy your clothes buy your diapers buy your toilet paper get your eyes checked all in the same place right well, fine get your nails done your hair yep um one-stop shop but they want it's this. like a mall but a walmart right well so like a mall the revenue from each business goes to that business and they all pay rent, which is how it is legal now. This would this would put it, allow it to be in there and the money would all go to that parent organization. So they would be, the optometrists would be Walmart employees Yeah, is the difference. Right. Or Target or CVS or Dollar General or whatever. You know, I'll just, my kind of final thoughts is I, I don't like it and I don't like it for the same reason you mentioned, like I don't like a change to the constitution for something like this really hard to undo it if there's problems. And the other thing is, this is just this there's, I don't have like a policy reason for this. Walmart controls enough of the market on enough goods and services. And I don't feel like they need to be handed more. How many optometrists want to work for Walmart? Not a lot. Not a lot. All right, let's, uh, let's move on. Hang on. I needed a trumpet in there to, Get off of that. Let's move on to 794. State question 794. This is the Crime Victim Rights Amendment, also known as Marcy's Law. This has been around for a couple of years. Um, and you, do you want me to take the lead on this one? Yes, sir. All right. So Marcy's Law, um, you've heard of the, like the Miranda rights that a alleged perpetrator the accused is read and they have a, a list of rights um this would kind of expand on that take the same idea and again this is another uh, amendment to the constitution and 
it would extend uh, certain rights to victims of crimes. Uh, so supporters would say that you know those who are accused of crimes should not have more rights than the victims, and that's on the presupposition that they actually do, which is not necessarily the case. Um, they should they believe supporters believe that victims should have a say in um, things like plea bargaining, uh, that kind of stuff, and they um, would formalize the right to be notified um, if if things change in the status of that accused person, right? So opponents say, uh, hold on, man. Well, this kind of does away with due process and what about innocent until proven guilty? And um, it's going to be really expensive because the courts have to do a lot more stuff and they have to hire more staff to do that stuff. And um, allowing victims to testify at every stage of a legal proceeding is going to, will drag it out and also maybe interfere with the defendant's rights. Yeah, I um, I think it's terrible. <laughs> I, you think it's terrible? I think it's terrible. So I, I'll be honest. I'm really torn about this. When I first learned about this a couple of years ago, I read some and I was like, "Oh, this seems to make sense." And then I've thought through it a bunch, and I'm I'm just torn. I as because when I read it, here's what happens: when I read it, I think of myself as the victim, right? If I am the victim of a terrible crime, if my if my loved one was murdered and that murderer was able to post bail and is out and they're hanging out in the community and I don't know it and I run into them at the optometrist. <laughs> in Walmart. Right. Um, and I'm not expecting that. Like, I thought they were in jail. What are they doing here? Um, or they plead guilty and they do a short amount of time for this crime, a shorter amount than I would feel comfortable because I'm angry and I want them locked away. Um, and it's the, the people that are behind this, um, Marcy, the, who is named after, um, was a, a guy's sister, I think that was, um, California. Yeah. And so I would, I would encourage you listeners to go and, and just look up Marcy's law and read the story. And it makes a lot of sense. If I'm the victim, I want protections. I want people locked up. I, this is, if I'm, if I'm the alleged perpetrator, I'm really angry. And I feel like this might violate my constitutional rights from the U S constitution for a fair and, you know, free trial and, um, or not free, but, uh, whatever it is. Right. Free free trial judgment, speedy trial. Yeah. uh, And, and it kind of circumvents that and puts extra protections on, on the victim's family. But, it makes me look more guilty. And if I'm the person that didn't actually do this and I'm just being accused of it, man, that really opens the state up for a lot of potential liability. Right? Yeah. So yes, you're, I think, yes, you're correct. I select that. I think this is terrible. So I would say first, you know, the big thing is the kind of the, the commercial for this, the, the support is people that are accused of crime should not have more rights than the victim. What right? I, I guess I would say, what rights do people accused of crimes have that the victims don't have? Right. Like that's my first, that's my first question, right? The victims, should they be accused of a crime? Also have the right to an attorney. They also have the right to remain silent. They also like the, there are no, the, the perpetrator or alleged perpetrator does not have any rights that the victims don't have. At least that's my, that's my understanding. Uh, you know, full disclosure, not a lawyer. Number one, number two victims and their family should have a say in things like plea bargaining. What are you That's out of your mind? Right. Are you kidding me? Like, no, there's like, like you just said, when I think about this, I think about myself as though I were the victim, which is, I understand I why. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But that is exactly what judges and attorneys are not supposed to do. Right. Well, <laughs> like, that's like, that's right. Like, like if you're a judge, you are supposed to look at the law, not, oh, how would I feel if this was me? Right. Like that's literally, that is literally the whole point of judges is to not do that. Right. Right. Like that's their whole, that's how, that's how they get to be a judge is on the basis of their impartiality. Right. Like that they don't do that because victims are often going to want more punishment than what we as a society through our justice system and laws may have decided is appropriate. Have you seen a time to kill? Uh, I, I, so this is funny actually. I have, I think only seen the movie like in bits and pieces. Like I don't think I've ever watched it start to finish. Yeah. 
it's one of my favorite books of all time. Oh yeah, okay. Like I can like I can like quote the book start to finish. Yeah, yeah. Great. I've read the book a couple of times myself. It was the first Grisham novel I read. Yep. Ditto. The the movie is really great. Sam ditto. Jackson, Matthew McConaughey, yep. Sandra Bullock, um, Ashley Judd. I love all these yeah, people. Yeah. But there's a, a quote, so and this is not really a spoiler for if you haven't seen it, go watch it. It's a really know, good movie. I think I know the quotes you're gonna say. I'm sure you do. Um so Sam Jackson is the father of a like ten year old daughter who was um, brutally raped by two um, racist white guys, right? Yes. Like rednecks. Like clan, um, Klansmen. Yeah. Uh, and they, and so when they're coming in for trial, they were caught. They're coming in for trial. Sam Jackson bursts out of a closet and shoots them, right? With like yes. a, a assault rifle. AR-15. Yeah. And uh, so so the most of the movie is about his trial as a murderer of, because he also accidentally had some ricocheted bullets that like hit a cop and yeah but so it was a revenge killing of these two guys and he's on trial because he he did murder them it was premeditated for sure he pleads not guilty because it he felt like it was not in self-defense but it was insane justified he, he, yeah he, he, he pleads, pleads insanity that's he the pleads only. guilty by reason of insanity right or not guilty by reason of insanity yeah and so he's being he's on the stand and the the um prosecution is really giving it to him and they like ask they're really badgering him to ask him if he believes if he did this and he says hell yeah i did it i hope that burn in hell yes and let the quote you thought of that was not an impression of sam jackson just to be clear there's no way i can do an impression of sam jackson but it's a great quote where in a heated moment and uh and i get it man you know like that's and that's it's it's hard. This is why politics and and legal stuff is hard, right? And I like I get it, but to me that's why, to me that's why I'm a hard or one of the one of the reasons why I'm a hard no, because it does. It's it says, it says we're gonna take the law out of it mm-hmm. and make sure that victims and their families get to put their thumb on the scale, mm-hmm. right? Right. Like like they when maybe they are too close, right? Like a hundred percent. So, and they're also, well, yeah. Okay. Right. And so, and I actually talked to a, a lawyer today who does a lot of work in, you know, criminal defense, but she also noted that the prosecutions like the, the DAs and uh, ADAs are by and large against this as well. And I was like, okay, like tell me your thoughts. And she gave like five points. So one to so believe it or not, Oklahoma actually does some things right. Um, so Oklahoma already has a service where victims can elect to be notified if someone's released from custody. So the idea that you might not know that the person who hurt you or your family member or perpetrated this crime against you is coming out of prison or coming out of the county jail or wherever they're being held. If you want to be notified of that, you can like that exists. Number two, it puts a lot, as you noted, a, a lot of extra requirements on the criminal justice system and doesn't provide any extra funding. And this has cost 500 to $2 million a year in places it's been implemented. Um, three, um, it's going to like string out the process a lot more um, because it's going to, it's going to cause plea deals to be delayed and that like victims are going to feel like they like victims have should have as much say in this person's punishment as the prosecution. And so they're going to use that to their advantage to try and like string things out as long as possible. Um, most DA's offices already have a victim's coordinator. Um, and that position though, by and large where it exists is funded by grants because the courts don't have any money to pay a victim's coordinator. This would basically mandate a victim's coordinator all across the court system without paying for it. Um, It's a very like good intentions, but there's no one who wrote this like is someone who works in the criminal justice system on a daily basis. Um, The other thing is that lots of states have implemented this or a version of it already. And most of those places has been found to be unconstitutional. So it will be yet another example of us passing a law, spending millions of dollars to defend it from the Supreme court and likely seeing it be overturned. Yeah. So that's, I don't know. Can we call it quits on Marcy's law? Yeah. Let's move on to the next thing. So the next one is, this is pretty straightforward. Yeah. I love a good trumpet. So next one, yeah, I was going to say this one will be a lot quicker. State question 798 pertaining to the governor, Lieutenant governor on a joint ticket. 
This is not about marijuana. Not that kind of joint. Womp, womp, womp. There it is. So basically, uh, right now, we elect the governor and lieutenant governor separately. But Scott, what would this do instead? Uh, yeah, so you could, like, not you could, you would have the governor and lieutenant governor running on the same ticket. So it would be, like, on the Republican the Republican ticket right now would be the Stitt Pinnell ticket. Hmm. Uh, and the Democrat ticket, Democratic ticket, would be the Edmondson Pittman ticket. Um, folks who are in favor of this are saying that, you know, putting the two on the same ticket would make it more likely that, you know, the leadership of our government has a unified vision and they can coordinate better. You know, in theory, if you have a governor from one party and a lieutenant governor from another party, you know, they might actually be like working against each other within the same branch of government, right? The executive right. branch kind of working working against each other from within. Um, and right now, uh, maybe because it's election season and you're listening to this podcast, so you're probably well-informed, most people, though, can't tell us who the lieutenant governor is or what they do. And I've not heard a peep about Todd Lamb since he lost the yeah, primary. Right. <laughs> right. So, like, most people, don't, most most folks don't know who he is or what he does right. or why that position matters. And the uh, proponents of 798 are saying that this would bring more visibility to that office and what its responsibilities are. All right. And the opponents are saying we should just do away with, with, the, with the light gov entirely. Um, some of them are saying that they're also saying that like, like if you had a governor that was impeached for some reason, it might be better to have a Lieutenant governor who is in more independent because they didn't run together. I can uh, also see where it'd be more beneficial to have them as someone who is closer aligned. Right. They're also saying it concentrates too much power in the hands of the governor. Um, and they're also saying, yeah, like I said, that they should just, there's no many, no, no important powers or responsibilities and you should just get away, like just abolish the position Do, entirely in my mind this doesn't matter no like because the lieutenant governor's anecdotally the, the light gov's job is to run for governor right yeah, like, right like right like it, to uh, bring business to the state to uh to to quote vice president john hoynes of the west wing <laughs> uh the lieutenant governor's uh, only constitutional responsibility is to have a pulse right exactly right all right uh, moving on hang so. on I'm sorry, listeners. I wish I had more trumpet sounds for a variety. State question 800. So we've got two left here. This is 800. This is the new reserve fund for the oil and gas revenue. It would establish the Oklahoma Vision Fund, which would be our third. It's basically a different rainy day fund, right? Yes. And so it uh, would, beginning of July 1st, 2020, so it wouldn't take effect for another year and a half, it would take 5% of the gross production tax, so not the not the GPT rate, but of all the collections, however much money comes in, 5% of that would go into the Vision Fund, and that 5% would increase year after year for up to something. Um, uh, and then it would, um, and then once that builds up, then 4% of the average principal amount of the fund from the preceding five years would then go into the general revenue fund. So basically, we're taking unstable money, putting it into a big pot, and then pulling off a more stable amount, like a smaller amount of that. It's, it's setting up an endowment based on gross production tax. I have a headache. Most other states do this that have a gross production tax. Um, supporters are like, uh, oil and gas is a depleting resource. We should do this. I think this... Was this uh, like... John Michael Montgomery or one of those bills? Uh, I th- I think so. I'd have to go back this, and look. This came from the legislature, I believe. And um, so they're basically saying this I is... I think a, Mayor a, Holt actually was the Senate sponsor of this, he, wasn't he? He very well could have been. I think he was the Senate sponsor of this. Uh, yeah, I think he, I think it was him and, and John Montgomery. Yeah. Um, new father. Congrats to him. Yeah. Um, I think it's a new father. Or he got married. Those are... Some, it's an important difference. Some major event. Sorry, Representative Montgomery. Who maybe Senator Montgomery before we get Indeed. to the election. Um, so basically, this is like a way to stabilize revenue. Now, the downside would be in the interim, we would lose 5% of our oil and tax, oil and gas revenue because it would be going to this fund to be saved up for a while. That's fine if gas prices are high, but if, if oil prices are high, if they drop down again, bad deal. Um, also, it... Um, makes yet another 
fund for us to manage. So we're, we're putting money in multiple funds. And if the health department is any indication, that's not a good sign for Oklahoma government. We might, we might lose money or yeah. like mistakenly place money. Like that's, that's my thing, right? We have, cause we have two other reserve <clears throat> funds, right? We have the, right. Ra- the rainy day fund, um, which is the revenue stabilization fund, which also gets a portion of gross production tax money. Right. So my thing with this is it's great to save money, right? We should all do it. Most of us should be better about it. But if you are saving so much that you can't pay your bills, that's a problem, right? Like it's like saying I make a thousand dollars every month and I'm going to put $800 in savings, which is fine if you only have $200 of fixed expenses. But if you have $900 of fixed expenses, you can't save $800 a month, right? Like, Oh, right. So, I mean, this, but it's not that big of a chunk. I mean, it's like, this is saying it's more like five out of a hundred. Right. It's not that big of a chunk, but I would submit to you that right now our core services in the state need every penny they can get their hands on. And I'm not at all opposed to the idea of saving more money, like putting more money back from oil and gas. Mm -hmm. But most of the, one thing that the, uh, opponent or the uh, supporters of this bill don't mention yes every other major oil and gas producing state does this every other major oil and gas producing state taxes oil and gas as it is at a significantly higher rate than we do right well and so and what they could do is what alaska did and that is just expand the rainy day fund or what we call the revenue stabilization fund right so ours is capped at i don't know 800 million or something right make it bigger and alaska made theirs like 2 billion so basically this is making a separate fund rather than just making one that's bigger. Right. And and on the plus side, this would kind of isolate this money over there and we would have a steady stream that we can kind of count on. But I mean, to me, like if you want to do this fine, like, I mean, fine, do it, but there should be a concurrent measure that raises the gross production tax to seven, eight, nine percent, mm-hmm. much more in line with the national average. Mm-hmm. And then you do this. You don't tax it at the lowest rate in the nation and then take, some of that money away from the legislature to be appropriated. Right. right. You know, we, we talk a lot about the state budget. That's $22 billion a year, but the legislature only actually gets to appropriate like 35% of that. So, yeah. right. Like there's already like 65% of money that's coming in. That's pre like spent. Like it goes mm-hmm. places because of statutes, not because the legislature says you should spend it here. And so to me to like add another, percentage to that we don't have for schools or roads or bridges or healthcare or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. If you picture a river with a bunch of, um, forks in it and all the, all the forks are going off to different things, the farmer at the end of the river and his field, which is like what the legislature gets has a very small amount of money or water. Yeah. I will say that of the, of the five state questions, this is the only one that I'm, Still undecided on. Like, yeah, I don't, me too. I don't. I don't know. How I'm going to. This may be this. a game time decision here. Yeah, I don't know where I'm going. There's, a, you know, all the state questions. Our friends at Oklahoma Policy have um, a quick fact sheet, and then they have like really detailed fact mm-hmm, sheets mm-hmm. with each one of the questions. I have not spent as much time with the the detailed fact sheet on uh, SQ800 as I need to. Right. That's on my list of things to do before election day. I did see that uh, Representative Dunnington supports this. I saw that on on Twitter today. Um, so if you are someone who appreciates his insight, um, there's, there's that. Also, if you're not sure, hit him up and let him explain it to you. I love asking legislators for their oh, opinion yeah. and, and asking them to explain it to me. That way uh, I can find out if they actually did their homework or if they're just saying things because yeah. some other reason. Good dude. Friend of the Jason Duncan, friend of the show. He is. He was and, on uh, uh, last week. And will be a guest at our election night show. He will. Indeed. It's funny how it all ties together. Okay. One more. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> All right, last one. State question 801. Allow building fund revenue for school operations. So this would... So right now, uh, the school funding formula is a big twisty mess. And part of the money is from like local property taxes that goes to the schools. And that money is only allowed to be spent on the buildings, not anything else. This bill, which I think came from the legislature, didn't it? Yes. It is yet another constitutional amendment because it has to be, because we codified all of our 
education funding there. Put everything in the freaking Constitution. Yeah. Including the flashpoint of kerosene. Like, really, it spells it out in there. This is how, this is the point at which kerosene catches fire. As if science didn't matter. I was going to say, has anybody checked to see if it's accurate? Yes. I've, I checked that out. <laughs> um, I didn't do it myself. I just read that someone else had. We should so, do that for the pod. Stay tuned. Live video. <laughs> Instagram story. Andy and I checking the flashpoint of kerosene. Everybody is hot, hot, hot. So, um, this would, uh, this would allow, we'll say quote, I'm going to do air quotes. You can't see them, but air quotes on allow schools to use their building money for other things like teacher pay. So that's a great deal if you are uh, a big, hairy school district like Edmond, Deer Creek, Broken Arrow, Jinx, somewhere like that. You Who got, are you calling Harry? Okay, well, you're a big, uh, robust tax base, lots of uh, so property call, taxes. you're going to be fat. Yes, I am. Big fat district no, um, where you've got plenty of, of property tax money. The shoe fits. And you can you can squeeze some of that or pinch some of that off and use it to hire an extra teacher or an extra school counselor and still have plenty left to fix your buildings. But if you are a small district, I heard today about some district down in southeast Oklahoma that only receives $38,400 per year from their their building fund. You need every dollar of that to to maintain your aging buildings, right? Because if a tornado hits your building and rips the AC units off the roof and you have a $100,000 deductible, you need that money to to pay part of that deductible. Yeah. And uh, so, I, Scott, tell us a little bit about where this idea came from. This kind of stems from the idea of like local control, right? So proponents of this are... There it is. Let school districts keep their money and let them spend that money however they choose to, which it's one of those things that sounds great in theory. But what it does is it, one, increases the risk that schools might use that money in ways that they can't afford. Right. Like the, like what Andy just mentioned. On the one hand, you know, if you only get 40 or 50 thousand dollars in ad valorem revenue every year. You haven't had to use that on a major expense. It can be really tempting to say, oh, well, you know, we're doing pretty well there. So let's use that money to hire a teacher because we really want to do the right thing for our students. And then a tornado hits and you need that money and it's gone. Number one. Right. Number two, um, making sure that facilities that our students use um, are up to date and clean and well maintained and safe. That should be a priority. I think most of us feel like that should be a priority. And so this would put put districts in a position of forcing to choose between using those monies for instruction and operations versus upkeep of facilities. But three, and this is honestly my biggest concern is I think that there is a, a significant risk that this would further increase um, the disparity and inequity that already exists in our schools. Right? So if you are a broken arrow, a jinx an Edmund, a Norman, and you, you have plenty of ad valorem tax revenue and you can use this to hire more teachers or pay their salaries more so or pay better salaries for the teachers that you have, that's great for these kids that live in Edmond or Deer Creek or Norman or Jinx or Broken Arrow. But for students that live in Oklahoma City Public Schools or Tulsa Public Schools or some of the more rural communities that don't have that, now those schools and those districts are at an even worse disadvantage when it comes to trying to attract top quality teachers when it tries to uh, 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 comes to trying to attract businesses to invest in their district or new companies to open or people to move to their community. So I, I understand, I understand and even can empathize with where this idea comes from. Um, but I got to say, like speaking for myself, I'm, I'm a hard no on this. Um, we need to better fund all of our schools not just put the onus of funding our schools better on the districts that can afford it. I agree. I think the issues is that we education needs more money, not just shuffling money around. Yep. All right. Well, Scott, anything else this week? Oh, I, I know I have one thing that listeners that this won't pertain to you yet, but Scott and I are about to leave from our upper room studios and head over to the tower theater right now. It's a double night. It is a double night. We're going to be on, the uh, the Wafty Show. We apologize for the inconvenience, and uh, you guys should check it out on the. Uh, I think on, like the. What are you What are you saying? 
Like really, well, I'm trying to play music here, and oh. it's not working. I was gonna say it's on the mostly harmless media network. It's another great, a uh, another great show on our uh, our home network. That's right. You guys should check out Wafty Show. We apologize for the inconvenience, and uh, and watch it. Uh, Stephen, John, and Aaron will be on there. Colby, the bartender. We're gonna talk about elections, voting, politics, and probably the election night show. I would assume. Yep very appreciative of them having it on there it's a video series you can watch it on facebook and on vimeo i believe and then again don't forget that on november 6th it's election day please for the love of pete go vote and then when you're done voting and you get off work come to the tower theater for our free election night show let's pod this golly i'm just messing things up today it's good. I'm so distracted by this Dire Straits music. It's so great. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of our show. Don't forget to subscribe and rate Let's Pod This on Apple Podcasts because that helps other people find us. That would be great for us and for them to be better informed, better engaged voters, which we desperately need. And remember, you can connect with Scott and I on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, let's Fix This is Let's Fix This Okay on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Scott is at SC Melson. I'm at Andy OKC. You can read our blog, check the newsletter, look for resources, get some handouts, get prepared for the election and for the legislative session. Let's Fix This as a member of the Mostly Harmless Media Network. Our theme music that we normally have is provided by the Sugar Free All-Stars. Today it's by the Dire Straits and that's pretty cool. Let's Fix This is a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization who strives to educate and equip all Oklahomans to engage with the government. We encourage you to get involved any way you can. And remember, decisions are made by those who show up. Have a great week. <laughs>